This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the program. Richard Duggan in the chair with you once again this afternoon. Uh, Linda is off. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning into the program. Claudette Barnes is behind the glass producing the show today and uh, keeping me in check to make sure that I don't go off the rails in some way. Um, But we have another packed show for you this afternoon. Uh, Lots to get to. First, we'll take a look at uh, some weather conditions now right across uh, Newfoundland and Labrador. Currently 17 degrees here in Metro. Marystown at 19, uh, Clarenville is at 14, pretty much the same in Grand Falls, Windsor, a little bit warmer in Cornerbrook as well. Um, Looking up to Labrador City, it's currently 16 degrees, 16 in Churchill Falls, 17 in Happy Valley Goose Bay, and 13 degrees in Nain. So clearly, a much nicer day in Labrador right now than it is in Metro. Uh, When I woke up this morning, uh, the rain was just pouring, and uh, where our bedroom is, it's right on the back of our house, right out behind, uh, so it's right next to our back deck, and I could just hear the rain pouring down this morning uh, when I woke up. Uh, Hopefully, it'll do some good things though for that uh, that fire ban that's in place and we're going to hear from somebody from St. John's Regional uh, a little bit later on in the show about that fire ban uh, that is in place so hopefully uh, there there will be a little bit of a a silver lining to the rain that uh, has been coming down and hopefully uh, prevent some forest fires from happening. now, uh, before we get into anything else, I also want to have a look at today's VOCM News question of the day. And today we asked, do you think that affordability has overtaken health care as the number one concern of people in the province? Uh, and speaking from you know the newsroom perspective we get people calling us every day um with concerns about both of those topics uh, as far as today's question goes so far 78 percent believe that affordability has over overtaken health care as the number one concern in the province 22 percent saying no to that question so if you would like to have your say you can head on over right now to vocm.com uh, today's question of the day uh will be open for voting uh for the rest of the evening so still loads of time for you to get on and uh, have your say about that um before we get into our first interview of today's uh program do want to mention you heard jolene grimes talk about it uh in the news there at the top of the hour but an incredibly sad situation coming out this afternoon um, out of Holyrood. Uh, Newfoundland and Labrador Hydro has confirmed that a man has died after an industrial accident at their station in Holyrood this morning. Um, We got their statement uh, just about... 20 minutes ago to the newsroom um, and they're saying that this is a sad day for the Hydro family uh, noting that it is a day that they never wanted to face and one that will be with them uh, for the rest of their lives and uh, reports indicate that the man who passed away came into contact with electricity while in the switchyard area uh, and was in his 60s. Uh, And, of course, we'll have more on that story throughout the evening in our newscasts uh, as well as tomorrow morning and online at uh, vocm.com. just a you know a horrible and a tragic situation for those involved and for everybody who knew that man and, of course, his family. 
in other news, uh, there was a big announcement on the province's west coast this morning. Uh, provincial government has announced that they are expanding the reach of the RNC in that region of the province. Justice Minister John Hogan made the announcement in Pasadena this morning, um, and I spoke with him a little while ago. So we announced an expansion of the RNC jurisdiction in, uh, in the western part of Newfoundland. Uh, so certainly uh, the RNC now moving into a town of Pasadena, um, Massey Drive, and some communities in the Bay of Islands as well. So why was this necessary? Um, so it's not that it was necessary. We're, we're constantly, obviously, evaluating policing uh, in this province and how policing can best be delivered to communities throughout Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, very lucky and very fortunate in this province, and I've uh, heard from my colleagues across the country that uh, about how lucky we are to have both the RCMP and the RNT in this province deliver policing services to our residents. Uh, this was something that we looked at. Uh, you know, there's a bit of overlap between the RCMP and the RNT in this jurisdiction, and that in the jurisdiction uh, in Western Newfoundland where we are today. Uh, and as we looked at it, and as we talked to various communities out here in Western Newfoundland, uh, we saw this as a way to streamline the delivery of public safety in this part of the province. Uh, so it's more efficient, it's more streamlined, um, and we'll, I think it's a win-win for residents, a win for the RNC, and a win for the RCMP as well. So what happens now with the RCMP's role in, in these areas over the next year or so? So, yeah, it'll take about nine months to uh, nine to 12 months to fully roll out the transition as the RNT expands its jurisdiction. Uh, the RCMP will continue to have, I mean, I shouldn't say they, they will. I mean, they do right now have um, a presence in Cornerbrook, which is outside of just regular patrols. They have an investigative unit and a forensic unit there. Um, obviously, we feel that there might be some members that can be freed up now in terms of patrol that might be able to be reallocated throughout the province. Um, but those decisions about operations are left up to both the RCMP and the RNC. You mentioned that you have been speaking with stakeholders in the area. So is this something that area mayors and, and others have been requesting? Yeah, we've talked to mayors about it, uh, specifically the mayor of Pasadena. met with him, I believe it was last October, where uh, this issue was discussed about the potential to expand uh, the jurisdiction into Pasadena, which is where he's obviously from and he's the mayor of. Uh, so, you know, he was certainly one of the individuals who came forward with discussions about this model and, you know, it could be changed to deliver public safety to his community. And uh, as I said, always looking at how best to deliver it. Uh, and when we dove further into it from a departmental perspective, uh, we realized that it would be uh, the best option would really be to expand it beyond just uh, Pasadena and into those other communities that I mentioned. How does this affect uh, the province's bottom line? I know that there's different funding models for the RNC and RCMP. So how, how does this affect that? Uh, so there's no plans to uh, to do anything with the budgets right now. There was an increase of the you know the RCMP budget a couple of years ago, a $17 million increase an increase last year in the RNC's budget of over a million dollars for uh, part of which was for 10 new officers. Um, obviously, you know, there'll be a little bit of up, upfront money now for infrastructure costs for the RNC, most notably uh, extra vehicles. Uh, but other than that, we don't anticipate any uh, huge increases in, in uh, either the RNC or, the RC, or any decreases in the RCMP budget as we move forward. Could we expect to see more of an expansion of the RC uh, of the RNC? Pardon me, in uh, other areas of the province now. Oh, this is the, the announcement today was just about uh, the expansion of the jurisdiction here on the west part of the province. Uh, so that's all we're, we're talking about today. We're not looking at right now whether there's other expansions necessary or appropriate in the rest of the province. 
And there you have it. That is Justice Minister John Hogan. Uh, again, they made an announcement in Pasadena this morning. Uh, RNC chief as well as the mayor of Pasadena were on hand for that as well. They're expanding the uh, reach of the RNC on the West Coast and to several communities. And uh, so that, as you just heard, will be happening over the course of the next year. They expect for it to take about nine months or so. Um, and uh, yeah, um, the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary Association sent out um, uh, a release about that. They sent a statement about that a little while ago as well. And they say that they're excited um, for what's happening on the West Coast, but they are stressing uh, the need for continued resources, especially in light of uh, an increase in Newfoundland and Labrador's crime index, uh, which was announced a little while ago. They said about six, 6% increase uh, province-wide um, in their in our index. So uh, they, again, they're pushing for more resources, and uh, it looks as though uh, that would have to be the case for um, such an expansion on the West Coast. So um, we'll have more reaction to this story coming up uh, throughout the evening and, of course, tomorrow morning on your VOCM mornings um, as well. All right, we're going to go to a break now. And when we come back, we're going to go to Conception Bay South, where they have just recently cut the ribbon on a new accessible trail at Topsail Beach. We'll have that for you coming up in a couple minutes from now. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on new traffic and weather conditions plus interviews with today's newsmakers your go-to source before you get on the go 5 30 to 9 a.m weekdays your vocm mornings and welcome back to the program richard duggan in with you this afternoon well now we're going to go to the town of conception bay south they have officially cut the ribbon on a new accessible trail at topsail beach mayor darren bent says the 150 meter trail goes from the parking lot down to the beach uh, they cut the ribbon yesterday and I speak now with Bent about what the town is doing. Well, we're very excited uh, because uh, Topsail Beach Rotary Park is one of the most popular attractions on the Northeast Avalon and indeed the entire province, uh, especially in the summertime, but all year round. Uh, you know, we have uh, thousands of visitors to the area uh, that come for the, uh, the scenery, uh, to have a fire on the beach, or even just to enjoy uh, beautiful sunsets there. And what we've been able to do now uh, with the help of a grant uh, that we received from the provincial government is to uh, install an inclusive trail, 150 meters of it, from the parking lot that will take you right down to the beach. So what this means for visitors, um, for people that have mobility limitations, whether it's uh, uh, people who uh, have wheelchairs, uh, seniors, people with injuries or disabilities, and families with young children, they can leave the parking lot now and go down this accessible trail, which uh, goes right down and takes them directly down to uh, the beach uh, in a way that is uh, in line with uh, people who would need to use a wheelchair or other uh, other devices to access areas and uh, you can actually come right up to uh, one of the fire pits on the beach uh, right along the trailway so this makes the uh, uh, the attraction much more accessible to all of our residents and our visitors as we talked about before conception bay south is a ever-growing community why was it important to add this accessibility feature to the beach 
Well, you know, we have a, uh, a trailway that goes through our town that actually has had more than one million passes in the last 30 months. And we're very pleased with that. And we know that uh, healthy living, uh, uh, quality of life uh, depend on these sorts of things. And our trailway is fully accessible. And it's important for us to make as many of our amenities as accessible as possible as quickly as we can. You know, Topsail Beach is something that we believe all of our residents uh, all of our visitors should be able to enjoy, and they shouldn't be limited uh, to staying up in the parking lot if they want to go down and enjoy uh, the beach itself, uh, the fire pits, uh, better view, the canteen area, the playground area. You know, this means a lot uh, for uh, seniors, uh, people with mobility limitations, disabilities, and families of young children. It makes it that much more accessible, and we believe that accessible communities are better communities, and it goes to one of our core principles uh, in Conception Bay South is that we believe accessibility should be a priority. It should not just be something that's extra. You know, uh, a lot of people, when you look at the stairs that have gone down to the beach for many years, see them not as access, but as an obstacle. And we wanted to remove that obstacle for all of our residents to be able to enjoy this beautiful uh, part of our town. How long was this in the works? Well, you know, we got the grant last year. Work started in September and finished up uh, this year. And uh, we're doing an official opening now, but it has been in use uh, for the past few months. And uh, it's just great addition to the uh, facility down there. Makes it that much more better. Yeah, the town of Conception Bay South is... Uh, uh, let me just say that the town of Conception Bay South is really pleased that on our trailways throughout the town we've installed counters and the counters have topped one million passes uh, in the past couple of weeks and we're going to hold a celebration in Conception Bay South to celebrate the use of our trailway uh, the number of passes that we've received and you got to remember we've only had the counters on the trail for the past 32 months uh, the trails have been there before that so we know we've had well over a million passes but to uh, think that the trailway that we have been working on in our town that we're going to make uh, from one end of town to the other this year through a grant of a million dollars that we received with help from the province and the federal government to finish the last three kilometers, that we know that uh, millions and millions of passes are going to happen over the next few years. But already we have had more than a million passes on our trail system in our town, and we couldn't be more pleased. And that's the mayor of Conception Bay South, Darren Bent, uh, talking about this new accessible trail that they have up on Topsail Beach. Uh, and just another feature that's going to help people, uh, no matter uh, what you know their mobility issues are, uh, be able to get out and enjoy the beautiful scenery that's out there. All right, we're going to move right along here now. And it's been a wet old day in Metro. Uh, when I woke up this morning, it was absolutely pouring outside, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, despite this, however, St. John's Regional Fire Department is keeping its fire ban in place until at least tomorrow. To discuss more about that, VOCM, your VOCM Mornings co-host, Jerry Lynn Mackey, uh, speaks with Kara Party, Fire Prevention Officer with the St. John's Regional Fire Department. With the rain in the forecast, what other factors do you take into consideration when deciding to keep or stop the fire ban? Well, initially when we issue the ban, we do it for seven days simply because we don't need people checking back every single day. Is it over? Is it over? We issue it for a week. And then that gives people a time frame to say, okay, this date I have to check back in to see if the ban is going to be lifted. I know the weather has been wet, but there are other factors we look at. We look at, are there any other fires burning in the province? Because it's wet on the Avalon doesn't mean it's wet everywhere else. 
if there are other fires burning in the province, do we have resources that we can count on if we do have a fire in our region? If, you know, if the water bombers are all tied up in other areas of the province or, I mean, earlier this year they were in other provinces. So we take those things into account. We look at how much rain did we have? I mean, yes, we've had quite a bit of rain since last night, but if it's been really dry, even that amount of rain sometimes, it's not enough to keep the forest wet. Uh, and, you know, it's things like that. We we have a number of factors to take into account. Um, population density in the metro region. We have, you know, older homes in the downtown that are connected. We have new subdivisions where houses are very close together. When there's more people, there's a more risk of fire because you're going to have more people having fire. So we have to take all of that into account and to make sure we have enough resources to respond if something were to happen. How great are the risks posed by human-caused or even lightning-caused fires? On the Avalon, as most people know, we don't get a whole lot of lightning, which is a benefit. Uh, So most of our fires that would be caused in the summertime outside would be human-caused. Every day we get complaints of people not following the regulations with backyard fires. The regulations are pretty stringent, and every single day, starting in April, we'll get a complaint of people not following the regulations. Also, if people are out enjoying the wilderness and they're having a campfire, they may not extinguish it properly. And all it takes is a little bit of wind to blow around those ashes that are in the fire that they had, and then that can spread to the trees. We often hear about ATVs causing fires because their mufflers get hot, and if you're driving over very dry grass or brush, then even just the heat from that can cause the the woods to catch on fire. Um, You know, people think of a forest fire as the trees. Well, most cases it'll start in the ground and then it works its way through the trees. So it's not just the trees that we need to worry about. It's everything that's in the forest, what's on the floor, because there's always uh, deadfalls and, you know, needles from the previous year that have dried out. So things can be very, very dry. And Captain Party, what is the wildland interurban interface and, and how does it play into the decision to keep or remove the ban? The wild urban interface is typically described as an area where human development meets or intermingles with the natural environment. Where I live, I'm surrounded by forest on three sides, and I'm in the middle of the city. Uh, Over time, our communities and our lifestyles, they extend further into forested areas as we further develop our cities and our towns. And we find these urban, wild urban land interface communities all across the province. Some are remote locations, some are in urban locations like us here in the metro area. We live, we work, we play in these wild urban land interfaces, and we become more exposed to the danger of wildfire. Wildland fuels, you know, your vegetation, whether it's natural to the forest or it's the vegetation that we plant around our homes and built fuels, so our homes, our buildings, things of that nature, they all have very different burning characteristics. And when they're combined, they create a uniquely complex set of conditions that affect the ignition and the spread of fire that are extremely different than, you know, a forest fire that's on its own or a structure fire that's on its own. Um, 
it, you know, all of these things are things that we can do to pre- we can do things to prevent fires from happening in these wildland urban interfaces. There's a great website, firesmartcanada.ca, that can provide information to anybody living in a forested area with how you can keep your own property safe and, and prevent the spread from happening too fast. I'm speaking with Captain Carapardi, fire prevention officer with the St. John's Regional Fire Department. And Captain Party, is it okay to cook on a charcoal barbecue while the ban is in place? No, the use of charcoal barbecues is prohibited during the ban simply because the same with an outdoor fire pit, the the embers from the charcoal can blow into the environment and then set a fire somewhere else. So the use of charcoal is prohibited. We do allow propane barbecues and propane fire pits simply because there's no embers uh, that fly from these. There are some safety things to keep in mind, though. Make sure you're following the manufacturer's recommendations when it comes to the distance your fire pit or barbecue has to be from combustible materials, uh, the railing around your deck, your house, overhangs, things of that nature. should always have a fire extinguisher nearby to make sure if anything does happen, you have a means to extinguish it. With your barbecue, if you have any grease spills, as often happens with our barbecues, clean them up before you use it the next time. And Always check your barbecue or your propane fire pit for leaks every so often. You can do that simply by mixing some dish soap and water, pouring it over the hose, turning on the propane, and if you see any bubbles coming from the hose, then you have a leak and it needs to be professionally repaired. And there you have it. That is Kara Party speaking with VOCM's Jerry Lynn Mackey about the fire ban that's currently in place in the metro region. And we will find out tomorrow uh, whether or not they are going to lift that ban. Um, All right, we're just up against news time right now. But when we come back here on the program, we're going to check in with the Newfoundland and Labrador Construction Safety Association. They're holding their sixth annual construction safety stand down tomorrow. We'll learn what that is and how it works coming up after the news with Sarah Strickland. Join Greg Smith weeknights at 545 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration, shows, and new music. Tune into Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM. And welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Sarah. Uh, We're going to continue on now. The Newfoundland and Labrador Construction Safety Association is holding its sixth annual construction safety stand down tomorrow. So what exactly is that? What exactly is a safety stand down and how does this day work? Well, now we'll take you back to VOCM Open Line with Patty Daly from this morning. Association CEO Jackie Manuel called in to talk about the event. We started this back uh, six years ago in response uh, to a really bad start to our industry. We were seeing construction workers. um, We'd had a number of fatal accidents, um, serious injuries. And so we said, you know what, as an industry, we need to stop and take take some time and and reevaluate. So, you know, over and above the routine safety activities that might take place, this is important and we need to stop and sort of reassess what we're doing and 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 see if there's any new things that happened uh, that we might have overlooked that we might not have planned for so that's what the safety stand down is all about to encourage workplaces construction in particular but any workplace can do this 
to stop tomorrow, um, you know, an opportunity for management to engage with workers to talk about health and safety in their workplace. I mean, we're talking about some pretty high-risk work. So, you know, I see it, and I would imagine others see it as well. This is where the obligation lies. So uh, the worker has the ability to refuse unsafe work, but how many times have I seen someone up putting shingles on the roof with no security at all, simply just walking around, no tethers, no nothing? Even when I had to apply uh, from workplace uh, safety to get a tether system when I was standing on a six-foot uh, scaffold to do the regatta coverage. So where's the obligation for safety lie? Is it solely with the employer? Is it shared with the worker? Because sometimes we all see these unsafe practices. Patty, everybody in the workplace has a responsibility, you know, and like um, the, the the owner, the the uh, the employer ha- has obligations and responsibilities to provide a safe workplace. Workers uh, obviously, you know, have to take responsibility for their own health and safety. But the key in the middle of all that are supervisors, because those are the individuals that have the most direct control over what takes place on the shop floor every day. And so it's you know it's critical that supers supervisors also understand their obligations um but but everybody i mean every every stakeholder has has a responsibility for for health and safety in the workplace so how does it work if someone whether it be work on their own home or in their neighborhood whether it be on a commercial property or just a residence if someone says look i see what i see here and i deem it to be unsafe who responds to that what actually happens if that type of complaint comes in the door whether it be your association or their government at service nl or the heavy civil association or who what have you so and it depends on obviously the nature of the work and where it is but you know bottom line if uh, if anybody witnesses unsafe work um, they can contact the occupational health and safety uh, department of the department of digital government and service nl the osh division and uh, and they do investigate every complaint now uh, you know their investigation might not necessarily be we're going to show up at the site they may reach out to the employer, but, you know, if you witness, um, you know, uh, if, if anyone witnesses unsafe work, they can just, they can reach out. They have, uh, you know, they have a full process where they, um, they, they do investigate complaints. You know, if, if, uh, if, it's, if it's unsafe work, for example, on, on our highways, then, you know, the municipality may also have a role. Um, so, you know, it, it depends. And, and we get calls all the time. And so then we try and direct um, the person to the, to, you know, to, to the right people to talk to or we'll, we'll reach out ourselves. Tomorrow will be the sixth annual stand down. Let's look at some of the numbers over the past five years. So it looks like some workplace lost time injuries have improved. That stat has improved, but not so much with the serious injuries. Where are we? Yeah, I mean, as a as a province, as and as an industry, we've uh, we've made tremendous progress over the last uh, twenty years in terms of injury prevention, um, but we haven't seen as much improvement when it comes to serious injuries. And uh, you know, in our industry, in construction, and and very similar in the province, you know, the the most uh, predominant serious injuries are fractures, um, concussions, amputations, and those things occur, um, you know, where when people fall, slips, trips, and falls. We often think about, oh, you know, in construction, it's probably like fall off a roof, but in actual fact, uh, like almost thirty percent of injuries in construction are like just fall to another 
uh, surface. The slip trip fall, fall from a ladder. Um, so, you know, we're, we're still seeing very serious injuries are occurring, which for something that seems very simple, um, but it, it can be um, can be extremely, yeah, extremely hazardous. And, uh, and so that's why, you know, even something as simple as housekeeping, we all know, and I just think about my own home, you know, you think about how many times do you walk over that thing on the, on the stairs? Um, but in actual fact, that's a, that's a, that's a tripping hazard. We, we become a little bit complacent sometimes. And so it's, it's a great opportunity to just stop and say, all right, we're going we're gonna to take another look now with a fresh set of eyes and see, you know, what, what hazards may exist in our workplace that we've, we've become, you know, blind to. So, um, you know, so those are typically what we would see in construction in terms of, you know, the, the, the nature of the, the types of serious injuries. Um, the occupations in our industry that are certainly um, experiencing the most serious injuries are carpenters and laborers. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's a concern as well. You know, all of these injuries, different severities, of course, recovering from a broken finger is different from a concussion uh, potentially or an occupational disease, which is captured in these numbers as well. But it comes with the price tag. Sometimes I hate putting price tags on, you know, people's health and their well-being, but it does come with the cost. So what are we talking about over the last five years for serious injury claims at Workplace NL? Well, in the construction industry, it's close to $30 million. And, uh, you know, the way the workers' compensation system works, uh, you know, every, every dollar that has to be paid out to an injured construction worker has to be collected from a construction employer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, it's not a cost of doing business. It's like any insurance that if you use it, um, like your car insurance, like your home insurance, um, if you have claims, then your premiums will go up. So, again, we've been fortunate in the construction industry that we've seen, you know, tremendous improvement in uh, in prevention. And so we've seen our workers' compensation premiums actually go down. But that's $30 million that, you know, that's been paid out to injured construction workers, our economy. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's a huge number. And if you bring in all the other uh, organizations involved in this, whether it be Trades NL or the Federation of Labor, the total cost there is just shy of $120 million for compensation regarding serious injury. So big money. And, of course, it is I – mean, there's a couple of things that are huge costs inside the world of business. One is training and one is lost time. So yep. it, it's in everyone's best interest for your overall health and well-being, productivity, costs for the employer and the employee if ad- adherence to safety is – is probably the number one guiding principle day in and day out. Everyone wants to be productive. Everyone wants to do their job yeah. and get home out of its safety. But it comes with a huge cost when it doesn't work that way. I have a, a board member who is often quoted as saying, like, let's not forget that when we train a worker to do a job safely, we train them to do it correctly. Yeah. So, you know, there's a huge linkage there in terms of productivity and all those things um, when a worker is informed of how to do a job safely. I mean, I think about years ago, and I'll you know, be telling myself now, but, you know, when I finished university back in the 80s, some of the situations that I put myself in just because I didn't know any better. And, uh, you know, it's not anything I would do today, but I just didn't know because I, I wasn't informed of the hazards. And so that's such, such a key factor. And, uh, and hopefully as part of the, uh, the stand down, uh, construction companies and, 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 and companies in other industries will, will, will take some time. It, it can be five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour, um, and just, just gather workers and, and engage with them about health and safety in their workplace. 
And there you have it. That is the Newfoundland and Labrador Construction Safety Association CEO, Jackie Manuel, speaking on VOCM Open Line with Patty Daly this morning, uh, talking about their safety stand down, which is happening tomorrow. All right, before we go to the break, we have a couple of things that we'd like to mention. Uh, so first, uh, we'll head over to Claudette, who has a traffic note. Yes, one of our listeners, VOCM, uh, VOCM listener, Brianna Earl, just sent us a video that is um, quite disturbing to watch. She says she just witnessed a car fire in Spaniards Bay or on the off-ramp and uh, she sent that to us so it looks like it's still on the side of the road but you will have to use uh, vigilance if you are in the highway in that area. Yeah, so keep your eyes peeled if you're in that area, and uh, there will probably be um, emergency responders on scene as well responding to that. Um, As well, um, we mentioned earlier tragic incident in uh, Holyrood at uh, the hydro station out there. Um, An employee out there was killed um, during a a workplace incident earlier today. Uh, The RCMP just sent out... um, a statement on that as well a little bit more details there uh, they said that they were called to the area at 11 a.m uh, to reports of a serious incident at the holyrood uh, generating station uh, the man was seriously injured and died uh, uh, en route to hospital um, they say that the rcmp has engaged the office of the chief medical examiner and occupational health and safety uh, to investigate the incident so there you have it uh, another update on that tragic incident uh, this morning in holyrood all right we're going to go to our final break of the day and uh, when we come back uh, we'll have some more here on News Talk on VOCM. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And welcome back to the show. Richard Duggan in with you this afternoon. Well, an important deadline. This year's Easter Seals Luxury Cabin Lottery is coming up at midnight tonight. The grand prize for this year's lottery is a luxury cabin located on Dildo Pond Properties. While the deadline to purchase tickets on the main prize is well over a month away, the deadline for the bonus prizes is tonight. Mark Bradbury, the Chief Executive Officer with Easter Seals, chats with your VOCM Mornings co-host, Jerry Lynn Mackey, about the deadline. Tell us about this year's luxury cabin. Yeah, it's a beautiful cabin on a prime uh, waterfront lot, built by Core Contracting, furnished by Cohen's, in the very picturesque uh, Dildo Pond properties. It's valued at over $600,000. It's just uh, 93 kilometers from St. John's. Far enough way that you feel like you're getting away from it all, but not too far to drive. And it is absolutely luxurious. It has a open modern kitchen design with an island, uh, high vaulted ceilings, master bedroom with ensuite, uh, two guest bedrooms, uh, guest bathroom, laundry facilities all on the main floor. Beautiful fire, propane fireplace to keep you nice and toasty warm. And it comes with a free tank fill up, even uh, with a one year tank rental from our friends at North Atlantic. And you'll also enjoy the breathtaking view of the pond uh, right in front of your cabin through the floor-to-ceiling windows. comes with a 750-square-foot wraparound patio. And the downstairs has a full basement for entertainment or storage and a garage to shelter all your toys. comes with a dual-head daikin, heat pump, mini-split. And top it all off, it's completely landscaped, ready to enjoy. Come on up with your family and friends with a turn of a key, and you can enjoy this beautiful luxury cabin. But if you get your tickets today... For the deadline for the bonus prizes, uh, you're in for a whole bunch of nice, beautiful prizes. 
Right, the cabin and the grounds just sound luxurious, Mark. But yes, you did mention the bonus prizes, and tonight is the last chance. So what are this year's bonus prizes? Uh, oh, they're uh, 30 $200 gift cards uh, from North Atlantic Orange Store. Uh, a Can-Am 2023 Outlander Max XT700. That's new to the marketplace. Uh, everything on that, from your big winch to uh, tri-mode, dynamic power steering, etc. And then there's a uh, really nice aluminum uh, Lund brand for those who know their aluminum boats. The Lund uh, aluminum boat and trailer package from Blue Water Marine and Equipment. Even comes with a Mercury 8-horsepower, 4-stroke outboard motor, the fuel tank, line, oars, anchor, rope, life jacket, safety kit, and an easy hauler galvanized boat trailer. Really nice package. Wow. So, yeah, but you got to get your tickets today to get in on all those bonus prizes, prizes along with being, of course, in for the cabin. And uh, it's valued at, uh, I can say, over $600,000 at cabinlottery.ca. Mark, how does this lottery impact Easter Seals? It has been the largest impact by far for Easter Seals, for sure, financially, uh, without a doubt. The proceeds are critical in providing us with the resources to implement our over 20 life-changing programs and services uh, for people with disabilities in this province. It's also been instrumental in helping us build our long-term capital campaign project which is our fully accessible and inclusive park. We built a beautiful playground already. We have a really nice pavilion, outdoor theater type of thing to have our uh, concerts and sensory gardens and grass play area, fire pit, really nice right here on the back of Easter Seals House. And uh, phase three is what we're really trying to get underway here now. And that's that the kids want to be able to take their uh, recreational uh, programs and bring them outdoors and play outdoors so they want to take their wheelchair basketball and sledge hockey and botch outdoors and so we're going to build this really nice outdoor hardcore surface area you could call it like a little arena if you want and uh, it's also going to have a a large outbuilding to the side to house our two uh, free equipment loan programs that we offer for persons and families with disabilities all across the province. So it's really important, important for the community, important for those that probably know someone for sure with a disability and uh, how it impacts is just huge. So this lottery is is a major impact. And it sounds like the arena that you have plans to build there, that's going to be a nice addition to the Easter Seals facilities. So uh, tonight is the deadline. When exactly is the cutoff to purchase tickets for the bonus prizes? Uh, well, the cutoff is at midnight tonight for the bonus prizes, <clears throat> and uh, but you get it, you know, I would get in right away and get them because sometimes there's a, a major uh, load on the uh, on the internet system and so on. So I wouldn't delay any at all. Just go into cabinlottery.ca, and let's also not forget that our 50/50 cash prize, which all of us Newfoundlanders and Labradorians seem to love. Last year's 50/50 total was a record-breaking $727,000 plus change and uh we yeah we really think we're gonna beat that this year we're already uh, trending that way so uh you know it wouldn't surprise me if it's 750,000 or something like that this year so uh you didn't know yeah yeah so midnight uh, august 10th which is today don't miss out and tickets are only 30 bucks still so get in right now and get your tickets today at cabinlottery.ca 
And there you have it, folks. Get out and get your tickets on the Luxury Cabin Lottery. Uh, again, those uh, additional prizes, uh, the deadline is tonight to get those. So head on out, get your tickets. Uh, very quickly now, before we sign off for today, I do want to bring you back to this really sweet story um, that we brought to you earlier in the week. Uh, Winfred Harnett has been living at the Carwood Retirement Home in Paradise. He's moving into palliative care soon. And as a lifelong mechanic, he wanted to see some classic cars. Well, cars, pardon me. So the word was put out on social media, and well, yesterday at the home, people turned out in droves with their classic cars for uh, Winfred, so or Winfield, pardon me. So uh, VOCM's Jolene Grimes went down to the home and spoke with Ashley Squires, resident car manager at the home, uh, Glenn Thomas, who put the word out on social media, and a quick comment from the man himself, Winfield Harnett. Winfield's been here for now for about two years. When he came into Carwood, we made a connection right from the start. Once we found out his diagnosis, I mean, we always pertained everything to automobiles. Mm. So once we found out the diagnosis, my wish was to have one car and to get him a drive. But uh, Valerie, who's also in the office with us, she uh, she reached out and here we are today. What do you think of this response? Uh, absolutely amazing. It, it truly, truly is. I mean, you work with this to see a senior so happy and stuff and see everybody out. This is it's beyond, beyond, above and beyond. And tell me about his love for cars. He absolutely loved cars. So the family, like, if you talk to Winfield in any capacity at all, you're going back to a car. <laughs> and um, so his family, you know, just went over Facebook, friends that he hasn't talked to in years. They put it out about how good he was at cars. And it's, like I said, it's truly, it's overwhelming. So you put the call out, and then what happened? Uh, everybody came. <laughs> That's the only way to put it. We didn't actually even know this was, Valerie spoke to somebody, uh, Glenn, I believe, Glenn Thomas. And from there, it spread like wildfire, and here we are. And now people are parking on the road. There's no space. Parking on the road. We've got babies inside. The Lions Club, they're coming out. We've got the daycare center coming out. So it goes to show the full circle of life all the way around. How does it feel to see a response like this for what he's going through, essentially? It's it's amazing. And uh, for him, I mean, this is something that he'll always remember. But it doesn't mean that he's not going to be here tomorrow. So, Glenn, you put the call out to Facebook, and this is the result. How did this all start? Uh, people here, well, I know one of the people that work here at uh, the home, and she contacted me and just asked if I knew a couple of people with old cars, knowing that I was into them myself. And I said, well, I'll see what I can do. So I just put a quick note on Facebook, and, and uh, it, just, it just went nuts absolutely nuts so here we are with the parking lot that's flooded with cars how does it feel to see this kind of response oh wow um, i don't even know how to answer this it's just overwhelming um, it's, it's got me going well. it's, it really does like, i know a few of these guys but we're a car, car crowd and we do what we can for each other and it's, this is about Mr. Winfield Winfield himself and he's a mechanic as well and a car guy so this is what happens thank you to everybody I mean everybody who came out who took time to to talk to us and and just thanks what more can I say (laughs) so the turnout here today how do you feel about this I am overwhelmed words I never used before in my life because I've never owned a wheel before. I'm overwhelmed with all of this 
having great appreciation for all the people, and I appreciate their uh, time they're taking off and uh, they're doing what they're doing. Now, what a sweet note to end today's program on again. Uh, that was a bunch of people there from Carwood Retirement Home yesterday uh, all coming out, and we just heard from the man himself, Winfield Harnett, uh, who they came out for to show off their classic cars. All right, that does it for us here today on News Talk. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. Thank you to Claudette for producing, and I'll be back once again tomorrow. Have a great day, everyone.